It is good to see each and every one of you uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, taking this beautiful morning and, and uh, coming to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, many of you, when you walked in this morning, commented on this. you immediately noticed there was something different. See, because we have, a, for lack of a better word, a structure here at Christ Community Church, and usually this is not part of that structure, correct? And so when something is out of the ordinary, you go, hmm. And for some of you who've been here long enough, you know that... Um, the only other times I've worn this is when I've, I've used it for a purpose or it's been Christmas because I like to wear Christmas ties. So you'll see some of these again in a few weeks. But when you saw this, when you walked up, you should have thought, oh, something's up. Uh, and something is up. We have been, uh, last week and this week, I said I was going to answer some questions that people had put in the box, uh, some further questions about Colossians. Um, and this one has had me really thinking for two or three weeks. In fact, thinking more than I've really wanted to. Um, it's a really hard question, and so this morning is going to be even more different than usual in that um, I think this is the third time that uh, I will not stand up here and go through a passage of Scripture. It's happened about three times. Um, this is going to be more of a sociological discussion. And, and hopefully it is going to be some discussion. I'm going to ask you some questions as we talk about things. So uh, the question, and we are going to spend a, a wee bit of time in Galatians 2 if you want to turn there now and be there. Um, we're going to look very brief at the passage I read just a moment ago. So if you want to turn there, we'll be there in a minute. Um, and there are some outlines in the bulletin if you want to follow along. But I don't know, maybe you've gotten them all. I don't know if there's any left. But... Uh, if you need one, you can get up there on the back table back there. So here was the question that was asked that was put in the box. How can we wisely remove our traditions and practices and methods and embrace the one and only one true gospel? And then in parentheses beside that, it said, in its simplest form, what is the gospel? So how can we remove our Traditions and methods and practices and embrace the one true gospel. Uh, so first, let me answer that second question because it's the shortest. Uh, in its simplest form, what is the gospel? Well, I suppose in its simplest form, uh, the gospel, that word that we translate gospel, just means good news. Um, and it would, could be used for anything like um, a king sending out good news to his subjects someone coming home and saying, I've got good news. Um, but the Bible uses it fairly specifically in a, a couple of different ways. In the first four books of the Bible, which, by the way, we call what? The Gospels, the Gospels right? Um, it's used as a term that means Jesus, the Messiah, showing up as part of God's ultimate plan to redeem mankind. Uh, the Gospel of the Kingdom. God's plan, that mystery Paul talks about, that from ages past had been planned of God coming to His people through the Messiah, through Christ, and redeeming them, fulfilling the new covenant in one sense, as talked about in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. But then when we get past those first four books, 
it's, it begins to be used in a more technical way. Um, especially by Paul, he begins to, to refer to the gospel as something more specific. And, and he defines it several different ways. He uses the term um, uh, God's purpose, the cross of Christ, uh, the word of truth, the grace of God in truth. What death abolished and what brought about life. He, he uses synonyms for the gospel in various letters and, and Peter as well. But in, in almost all of those, the context of what Paul is talking about is the cross. And he gets very specific in 1 Corinthians 15, which we've talked about before. The gospel, what we say that one needs to believe or embrace is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and three days later, he rose again according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, the very beginning of that chapter. And so when, some, when we say, well, what's the gospel? What do you have to believe? We, we break that down and we talk about the different parts of that. Well, Christ, that's the Messiah. That's the one that God sent, his son. Died for our sins implies two things. Implies, number one, that we understand that we have sins that need to be forgiven. That there is a standard and we don't meet up to that. Uh, and two, that that Christ paid the penalty for those sins. That Christ died instead of me, took the punishment that I deserved. And then the last thing is that He rose again, a, a testimony of the Father accepting that sacrifice and also a promise that we too will be resurrected. So that's the gospel in its simplest form. And the question, how do we wisely remove our practices and methods and, um, and traditions so that we only embrace that. Well, some people have, have said, I want to just get down to the gospel and get rid of everything else. The problem is you really can't get rid of everything else, can you? You see, because every group of people, every geographic area, every ethnic group of relationships has what's called a culture. Now, we often think of culture in negative terms. Oh, that's that thing out there that's trying to, to trip us up and cause us to sin and deceive us, right? Culture kind of has a bad terminology in Christian circles. But, but we have a culture here. Christ Community Church has a culture. Um, Christianity in the South, in America, has a culture. Western North Carolina has a culture, Christian or not. So you can't escape that. You can't escape having methods. You cannot escape having practices. You cannot escape having tradition. Even if you label yourself, well, we're a non-traditional church and we change our methods and practices every six weeks. Well, that would become your tradition, wouldn't it? You'd be known as that church that never does the same thing twice, right? So we can't escape those. And people who study that, um, sociologists or people who study missions in depth, call all of those things... They use the word form. They're forms. For example, um, you all this morning, you got up and you got in um, these boxes with wheels and you drove here. That's a form that our culture uses. You go to some parts of the world and, and you wouldn't see any of those large pieces of metal with four wheels. Right? They accomplish the method of transportation with a different form. In fact, everything that you can perceive is a form. Let's, take, let's talk about just Southern American Christian culture for a moment. There are forms in that. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's a form. 
right? A final hymn and an invitation. That's a form. Coffee pots in the fellowship hall. That's a form. A piano is a form. Here at our church, rows of chairs is a form. And five on this side and six on this side is a form. Uh, A microphone stand is a form. The piano is a form. Um, This thing right here, this piece of equipment right here is a form. Um, Technology is a form. And and we often think of technology as, as something that's new, but we do need to keep in mind that electricity is technology. And it's a form that for a long, long time people didn't have. Central heat and air is a form. Um, Our dress is a form. This thing right here that amplifies my voice is a form. And and this is a form. Anything that you can perceive, the fact that we do uh, Sunday school after our service instead of before is a distinct form for what we do, right? And forms accomplish two things. Every form performs a function and every form has a meaning. And so, let's go back to the question for a second. How do we wisely remove all of these forms? Well, you can't remove them, but the deeper question is, How do we keep them from miscommunicating the gospel? That's what happened in Colossians, I mean in Galatians chapter 2. Let's go back and talk about that. You see, Peter had understood that salvation was by grace alone, and he understood that Gentiles could get that same salvation the same way Jews did. And so therefore, Peter began practicing a form called having a meal with Gentiles. That was a form. And what what that meant was, what that communicated was, that it's okay to eat with people that are different from me. Because, see, in that culture, eating was a big deal. Sitting down and eating with someone was a a really big deal. And it, it not only performed a function, but it meant something. If I sit down and eat with you, it performs the function of, 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 acceptance. It performed the function of communicating, I accept you. Not only that, but I'm interested in in us having a relationship. There's intimacy and fellowship there. That's a form. The Jews would not eat with Gentiles. That was another form, not eating with Gentiles. And that communicated something. That communicated, you are unclean. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right nowadays, we, we go to cafeterias or restaurants. We sit down. We, people are right next to us. See, that would be really foreign to a Jew. They wouldn't walk into a restaurant and eat with someone, at least back then, at that point in time, if they didn't know what their status was. And it had a meaning of it. It meant that I am following God's will by keeping myself pure and clean. So when Peter all of a sudden starts eating with Gentiles, what that communicates is, what that that signifies, the, the function that performs is welcoming Gentiles into a relationship with a Jew. What that meant was, you are now clean. 
And so then all of a sudden some people from Jerusalem came down and, and Peter starts not doing that anymore. He practices the form of not eating with Gentiles again. And what Paul could have done, Paul could have gotten his face and said, Peter, you're being racist. Or he could have said, Peter, you're being unkind. Or he could have said, Peter, you're hurting people's feelings. But he didn't say that. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not being straightforward about the gospel, he didn't see racism, he didn't see unkindness, he didn't see people getting feelings hurt. What he saw, the, what he ultimately saw is the ground of that action. What that form communicated was something not straightforward about the gospel. That form communicated something that Paul said, this is not good. So we need to think, okay, now what, what did the gospel do? What did the cross do? See, the cross made forgiveness available to everyone. The cross made it possible for Jew or Gentile, rich and poor, healthy and sick, to come into God's presence. And so, if I can come into God's presence and you can come into God's presence... That means we're both clean and therefore I can eat with you. And so when Peter practiced the form of not eating with Gentiles, that performs the function of exclusion. But it has a meaning of, well, you're a, you call yourself a Christian, but that's not enough. The cross of Christ is not enough. And so Paul says, that form has got to go. Because what you're communicating to those Gentiles is, yeah, they may be Christian, but they also need to get a little bit of Jewishness too. Or you think that they're not worthy. And so that form very clearly communicated something to the people in Antioch. It held a function and it had a meaning that was very clear. Gentiles, you're not good enough. And Paul says, whoa, wait a minute. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Well, that's a biblical example. But what about us here today? What are some examples that, uh, that we might want to think about? Let me, let me give you... Problem? Is this, is this weird? Why is this weird? You can, this is the interaction time. Why is this weird? Because of the tie, right? This doesn't go with this, right? And when you take two forms, right? Because we all, we all have decided as a culture... We've given this meaning, haven't we? It performs a function. It's very handy for a carpenter to have this. It performs a function. But it also has a meaning. You see someone walking around with this, 
You make assumptions, right? You may assign value, right? And when you see this, your brain thinks certain things. Then when you see this, your brain thinks certain things. And when I put these together, there's clashing, right? I'm not communicating what I want to communicate, am I? (laughs) Or I'm not communicating something that you understand because my forms don't fit together. Again, every form performs a function, right? And if, if my forms all perform a function that clash, right, then we've got problems. It'd be the same thing if, if half of you decided that you were going to continue to drive on the right side of the road, and some of you decided you were going to drive on the left side of the road to come to church this morning. Right? Those are forms, how we drive. Those are forms. But as a culture, we've decided how we want to structure society, and we all drive on the same side of the road, and if half of you decided you wanted to change forms, would that cause problems? And so, again, back to our question, how do we remove our practices, our methods, and our traditions that get in the way of a clear communication of the truth of the gospel? I'm going to take this off because I don't really like it. It makes me uncomfortable. No, it doesn't. Um, Not too long ago, I was over at Chad's and he got me up on the roof. And and I was okay when I was on the roof with Chad with a nail gun. And then he said, I think you've got it. And he got down. And just anxiety. I'm up here about it. So as as we talk about form, I want us to begin to think as a, as a church, we, as we look around, look at all of our forms, do any of those communicate something differently than we think they do? So that makes me uncomfortable because that, that introduces the, the, the concept of change, <laughs> right? As we begin to evaluate what we do, we begin to evaluate our forms we might find that we don't communicate the gospel clearly. Let me give you another example. This morning, when many of you came in, I did this. What did that communicate? In a welcome. Good. Anything else? I'm sorry? Just a friendly gesture, right? What did it mean? Right? It performs a function... Welcome, right? That's a function that it performed. What did it mean? What was its meaning? I'm glad you're here, right? Okay. If someone was standing off on the fly on the wall and saw that, they would interpret a meaning for that, okay? They, uh, hopefully, friendliness, right? Is that a biblical thing to do? Is that a biblical thing to do? Are we supposed to greet each other? Yes, we are. The Bible, in fact, the Bible says, greet each other with a holy handshake. It does say a holy kiss. Is it okay, is it okay to change forms? Is that okay, to change forms? And the question we need to wrestle with is, if it is okay, when is it okay? 
Let's talk about the kiss for a moment. 2,000 years ago, what did a kiss, what function did it perform? They know what function that performed? Yes, it, it, it performed a conjugal Yes, that's a that's he used a kiss, right? Why? What what, what function that it didn't? The kiss wasn't the betrayal. Let's not let's not confuse that. What function did the did the kiss perform in that culture, in general? Greeting. It was a greeting. It was a greeting. Anybody? Actually, there were several different kinds of kisses. You could kiss someone on the hand. You could kiss someone on the cheek. And it seems, just from other writings, that what Paul was talking about was the kiss on the cheek. And the function that performed was... You're welcome as a member of my family. If I saw someone kiss someone on the cheek, I would interpret that as, oh, they're very closely related. There's an, don't think romantic, but there's an intimacy, a fellowship, a bond there. Okay? Right? That was the function. That was the meaning. Now, today, what function does a kiss perform? Exactly the same thing? No, the kiss is more what? Romantic, right? Romantic. It's a sign of affection. Not necessarily, not necessarily close association or kinship, but it's a sign of affection, right? Would it have the same meaning if you came up and I kissed you this morning? Someone, someone standing over there, right? You walk in, I give you a kiss. What do they think? Right? It doesn't have the same... It has a different meaning, right? It performs a different function, doesn't it? And so we've, we have replaced forms because that form has evolved over time. Now, here's the hard question. Does a handshake, does a handshake communicate the same thing in our culture as it did in their culture, that a kiss did in their culture? Does a handshake in our culture communicate the closeness, the intimacy, the familial bond that a handshake does in our culture? I'm not going to answer that question for you, but that's the hard part about this, this issue of looking at what we do and going, does it do what the Bible really wants us to do? I'm not going to start kissing you next week when you come in. But we need to begin, I think, it's a, it's a great question to wrestle with. Are there things that we do that either 
cause conflict in people's minds about what the gospel is, or don't go far enough in communicating what the gospel really has done for us. See, do we really believe that that we're family? Do we really believe that? See, the early church was, was accused of incest because they were marrying their brothers and sisters. At least that's what the world thought, right? Because Christians called themselves brothers and sisters and acted like they were that close relationally. And then a brother and a sister would get married. Not blood brother and sister, but because they were Christians. And so the world would look at that and go, but you call each other brother and sister and you act like a brother and sister and you're getting married. We call that incest. And Christians had to write and explain things. Wait, 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 let's back up and talk about what we really mean by... See, at the, cro- at the foot of the cross, there's, there's no longer any class distinction. There's no longer any ethnic distinction. There's no longer any socio-anything distinction. We're all family. We, we should begin to act like we've grown up together. Let me give you one more example. Since I wore this, I probably ought to use it. Uh, A long time ago, and I've heard three different stories about the origin of this. I'm going to give you one. I don't know which one came first, if they're maybe all right. Uh, This used to have a different function than it does now. It used to have the function, if you were a rich person who lived in the country and you had to go into town, a town that had open sewage in the streets, then you would want a piece of cloth with some perfume on it that you could... So it performed a function of keeping you from being nauseous when you went into town. And the best place to put it was around your neck. It's always there. I'll tie it on and I'll always have it, right? Performed a function. That also signified a meaning. If someone saw someone wearing one of these, that meant, oh, they're a different class than I am. They live out in the country. They have money. So it performed, it had a meaning of class distinction. Well, over the years, it lost its original function, if that was the original function. That was a function at one point in time. Does this have that same function now? What is the function of this? How does this function? See, and here's the hard part, because sometimes we think, oh, things don't have functions anymore. This has a function. It may be as simple or silly as a place to clip a microphone, right? This morning it had a function of an object lesson, right? When I lived in Central Texas, all the male teachers wore one of these. That was part of the culture. So it performed the function of distinguishing teachers from someone else. And that's very closely related to the meaning, which kind of has been, that meaning has been passed down, right? You see someone wearing these, and that kind of means, oh, they're a businessman, or maybe someone puts something on for an interview, they're trying to look better than they are, <laughs> right? There's still the idea that this, this meaning of, oh, it distinguishes someone from somebody else, right? Does that make sense? And so the question is, is that, is that what we do? Because 30 years ago, everybody in church, all the men anyway, wore one of these, right? 
as well as a coat, right? So what did that communicate? Let me back up. What was the function of people putting on a coat and tie and coming to church? Respect, formality, depending upon what tradition, right? How many of you ever heard, you give your best to God? That includes what you wear, right? So it, this and a coat performed the function of honoring God. What did it mean? If I'm in church looking around and somebody wearing a tie, what does that mean? No, everybody's wearing one. We're all we're all in the boat together. <laughs> that's the that's the answer to the next question, Scott. You're, you're doing good. If everybody's wearing this, and I look around, what do I think? I'm just like everybody else, right? Maybe I'm thinking we're all giving our best to God. This is a good place to be. I don't know, right? Do you see how meaning can change depending upon who's doing the thinking? But what if I'm an outsider and I'm a visitor and I walk into a place where everyone's got on a coat and tie and I don't own one? What meaning is being communicated? Maybe, possibly, but at the very least, I'm different. It, 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 it communicates the meaning is I'm different. Now, here's where we have to be careful. Okay? Because some people have taken that idea of, oh, we don't want to be, we don't want someone to feel different, so therefore we're going to change our form, right? In some ways, Christians are supposed to be different, right? There are some issues where if a visitor walks in, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. There are some legit. There are some issues. If a visitor walks in, it's perfectly okay for them to feel uncomfortable, right? This isn't a black and white issue. This is a hard issue that we as Christians need to wrestle with. The things that we do to go back to Scripture and say, okay, what are we supposed to do, and does what I do communicate that? From everything from how we've got our chairs arranged, which you may think, oh, that's kind of silly, but what is it, what is the function of having rows of chairs? What's the function? Order. Order. Okay. But if, if they're random chairs and someone walks in late, there's no way they can find one, right? I mean, that, so order's a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. What other function do these rows serve? Efficiency, yes. Anything else? Safety. Sorry? Safety. Safety. Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean that we have rows of chairs? Again, thank you. perspective, I'm looking at rows of chairs. What does that mean? One meaning is that it's different than it used to be, which is a sign of growth if, you're, if, you, would, if you could look at it long term. Okay, if you looked at it long term. What else does it mean that, what does it mean in general in culture that we put people in rows? So the audience, 
there's an audience and there's a focus. Does that communicate the gospel really well? I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> but it's all of those things that we take for granted, what sociologists call our unquestioned assumptions. Right? Bill, there's a slide, I think. Did we turn it off? There's a slide. At the very after, I think there's a, there's a picture at the back of the last song. Uh, you can't answer because you know the answer to this. What is that? Wrong. It's not a house. It's not a church either. See, we, we walk into some place, we evaluate it, and we, we have an assumption on what it means because of the culture we grew up in, right? That's actually a school. It used to be a house, but it's now a school. And there are classes that go on in the living room. <laughs> and there are classes that go on in bedrooms, what used to be bedrooms. There are classes go on in what used to be a garage that's now been converted, right? It's an, odd, it's an odd deal. But it's a school, right? But you look at that picture and you go, it's a house. We know that instinctively, right? Because we have unquestioned assumptions about the way we do things. And sometimes those are the scariest things because we don't question them. We just assume that's what we've always done. That must be the way they've always done it. I bet Paul did that. <laughs> everything that we as believers, not everything, a lot of things that we as believers tend to fight about when someone wants to change something is the thing, because the thing that I hold dear, I think, has always been that way, but I promise you that thing was new at one point in time, and someone else didn't like that it was new. Everything from music to technology to the way we arrange things to how we do communion on Sunday mornings, all of those things are, whether we like it or not, culturally bound and for us to say, oh, you can't do that because that's the way I've done it for 30 years. And I think even, I think even my grandparents did it that way. But for someone, somewhere along the way, it was new. A form entered in because someone wanted to try to communicate the gospel. Hopefully that was the reason. Better to a new culture. The final issue that we need to talk about is, and we've, we've hinted at it, is that Again, things have meaning for us and meaning for the world. We've got to think about both of those layers. But also, the gospel is not just about salvation. We read at the end of that, of Paul's diatribe, if you want to talk about it, about Peter. He says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The gospel is applicable to our everyday life. The fact that Christ died for my sins and rose again, as we've talked about before, as I change allegiance, as I identify with that death and resurrection, that gives me power to overcome sin daily. It removes my fear of death. And it allows me to live a victorious life because God Almighty dwells in me through the Holy Spirit. I can choose to make right choices. And so it's not just thinking about the gospel in terms of salvation. 
It's thinking about all of our forms in terms of the process of sanctification, of me living today, now, and walking out that door and interacting with the world. What do we do in here and in there and in there that helps or hinders us as individuals and as a body from being who God wants us to be? From communicating clearly the gospel. So where you may be frustrated, where I'm certainly frustrated, is I haven't given you a lot of answers. But I want to begin the conversation of what do we do? And do we reevaluate everything? Maybe, not all at once. That would be chaos, right? (laughs) But we need to begin thinking about some of those things. And I would love over the next week or two or three for you to begin thinking about some of those things too. And send me an email. Call me and say, I've been thinking about this and, and here's my thought. Because sometimes we can go down a road and we may have missed something important. If just, if just me or just you decide we've got something wrong, this is a, this is a community effort of, as we think through what we do and why we do it. As we seek to accurately, or as Paul says, to be straightforward about the gospel and its effect not only on our lives, but on the lives of the people that live around us. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing one more song together. Father, thank You for today, and thank You, um, God, for Your Word, and uh, just the example of, of Paul being willing to step into a situation and say, now wait a minute, this doesn't look right. It doesn't honor You, God. God, help us as individuals to think through our lives. Not only here in church, but in our family, in our workplace. The things that we do, do we, do we hinder other people from seeing you as you are? As we communicate by the things we do and the things we say and who we are. Help us, God, to honor you in all that we say and do. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.